This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 2nd, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. It's been about a year since the president signed Obamacare into law, and that not-so-new health care law was ushered in with several specific promises made about how very little would change. Cato Institute senior fellow Michael Tanner at the Cato Institute's annual Benefactors Summit held last week explained what was wrong, misleading, and outright disingenuous in those promises. Next month will be the one-year anniversary of the passage of Obamacare. And if you remember at the time, uh, actually in the, uh, about two days before they passed it, uh, Nancy Pelosi told us at the time that we had to hurry up and pass the bill so we could find out what was in it. Well, we now have had a year to look at the bill, and we're beginning to get a pretty clear idea of what was in it. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, it pretty much confirms that Cato was right all along. Actually, shortly before the bill was, writ- uh, was passed, I wrote a paper called Seven Bad Ideas for Healthcare Reform, and I'm pleased to note that Obamacare got all seven. <laughs> but what do we know? What have we learned uh, in the year uh, since Obamacare was passed? Well, the very first thing we learned, uh, I think, is that, no, you cannot keep your health insurance if you have it today and you like it. Now, you know, I know that's shocking because our president did tell us something different. And and we know that no politician in Washington would ever lie to us. But, But it does appear to be true that you cannot keep your health insurance. We know, for example, we've now learned that if you have a flexible spending account, that, well, that's been cut in half. You used to be able to contribute $5,000 to your flexible spending account. Now you can only uh, contribute $2,500 to it. Uh, We know that uh, if you have a flexible spending account or a health reimbursement account or a health savings account, you can no longer use those to purchase over-the-counter medications. Uh, We got a little letter at Cato this year already informing us that we can no longer use our HSAs for the purchase of over-the-counter medications. Uh, As soon as that came in, Ed came running down to me saying, this is impossible. The president assured us nothing was going to change. (laughs) But uh, but checked it out, and and there must have been a misstatement somewhere in there. We know, uh, for example, that if you have a Medicare Advantage plan, if you're a senior and you are on Medicare Advantage right now, chances are you are not going to be able to keep that plan. Uh, According to the chief actuary for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Studies, between 25 and 50 percent of all those Medicare Advantage plans are going to go away within the next three years. Uh, and they are, the people on those plans are going to be forced back into traditional Medicare. In fact, 700,000 seniors have already had their Medicare Advantage plan go away. In the year since the bill was passed, 700,000 seniors have lost their Medicare Advantage plan as a result of this bill and been forced back into traditional Medicare. So they are also not going to be able to keep their current plan. And if you just have regular insurance, well, you're probably not going to be able to keep your current plan either. 
One of the things that we pointed out with the whole idea of an individual and an employer mandate, which are the key components, of course, of Obamacare, is that it doesn't just affect people who don't have insurance. It's not just a mandate that you purchase insurance. It is actually a mandate that you purchase a specific package of insurance benefits that the government wants you to have. Now, what are those mandated benefits? Well, some of them were spelled out in the bill. You have to have prescription drug coverage uh, now, which is one reason why the drug company spent $150 million advertising in favor of the bill. Uh, you have to have mental health benefits. You have to have drug and alcohol rehabilitation therapy uh, included. Uh, you have to have dental care and vision care for children now in your policies and, and all these other benefits. But that was only the start. <clears throat> uh, the bill also created a commission to be headed by Secretary Sebelius, which is going to go out and decide what other benefits every insurance plan in America will have to include. That commission has been meeting out at the Institute of Medicine and holding hearings for the last several weeks on what would be included in the bill. And we don't know what they're going to come out with, but we do have, we have seen the expected parade of every special interest group in the healthcare profession parading up to the Institute of Medicine and saying that they absolutely must be included in this healthcare bill. The provider groups have been up there and the disease constituencies have been up there. We had a, about a half a day devoted to people demanding that autism uh, education be included uh, under, the, under the bill so that children with autism would have their lifelong educational needs paid for by health insurance. Uh, we've seen uh, in vitro fertilization uh, be uh, subject to several hours of testimony up there by the in vitro fertilization clinics who now want to be covered and the expected, you know, women who could, uh, with childless women who up there complain, you know, crying about how they couldn't afford to get in vitro fertilization and it means they'd never have a baby and it was all covered on the news and all that. So we can expect many of those things to be included. Well, of course, what happens if you have insurance today and it doesn't meet all of those requirements? Well, there's actually, the, the news is actually a little bit not terrible. You are actually grandfathered in uh, right now. Uh, but the bill says you're grandfathered so long as you don't make any substantive change to your current policy. As soon as you make what's called a substantive change, you will lose that policy. And about a month ago, Secretary Sebelius came out with a list of some of the, some of the things that would be considered a substantive change to your plan. If you change carriers, that's a substantive change, and I guess that, that makes sense. If you change insurance carriers, you're, you're, you're no longer grandfathered. Uh, if you change any of the deductibles, co-payments, or co-insurance requirements under your current plan, uh, that's a substantive change and you're no longer uh, covered. If you change any of your current benefits, if you add a benefit, remove a benefit, or change any of the benefits, that are covered under your plan. You're no longer grandfathered in. So for example, and they actually provide this as an example, if you currently, your plan currently covers 80% of the cost of drug and alcohol rehabilitation, and you change that to 75%, or your plan changes to 75%, you lose the entire grandfathering of, of the plan. Uh, this applies both to individual policies and to employer-provided policies. So if your employer makes any of these so-called substantive changes, the employer must change the entire policy over to cover uh, all the mandated benefits. Now, the Department of HHS uh, helpfully 
on their own website looked at this, and they issued a statement, which is on their own website, you can look it up, that suggests that because of this, two-thirds of all businesses and 80% of small businesses will have to change their insurance plan by 2014 in order to come into full compliance with the mandates under this plan. Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and author of the report Bad Medicine about the new health care law. Download your copy at Cato.org.